Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Have you ever worked so hard towards a ministry goal only to fail at every turn? Have you considered that you may be operating outside the call of God on your life? Join us now as we continue our journey through Acts chapter 17 with Cheryl Broderson. And now here is part two of Cheryl's message, Unintimidated. It's the gospel that's compelling. It's the gospel that's transforming. It's the gospel that can establish. Paul did not need to spend any more time than three weeks because the gospel was able to establish them. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, Paul said this, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God. This is the power of of the gospel. Paul was unintimidated because he knew the call on his life. Paul was anointed and empowered to take the gospel into the world. This is what Jesus showed him on the road to Damascus, that he would bear his name before Jews and Gentiles. Paul was gifted and anointed and empowered to reason. He was given these reasoning skills. He could explain and demonstrate from scripture about the suffering and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was able again to point that Jesus is the one, this Messiah that you read about in Isaiah 53. Paul heard the words of Jesus on that road, that he would suffer many things for the namesake of Jesus. Paul was also called to suffer. He knew that was part of his call and he embraced it. And because he knew it was part of the call, he was unintimidated by it. This is what I'm called to. I have a friend who has a disease that gives her chronic pain. Sometimes I look at her and I just don't know how she does it. And she told me one time, Cheryl, I'm all right with this because I know it's part of my calling. And she said, I'm all right with pain. Other things get me down, but pain is not one of them. Isn't that amazing? You're unintimidated when you know the call. So Paul was empowered and emboldened by suffering. The suffering that accompanied the proclamation of the gospel. He was not 
intimidated when he was sent out by night from Thessalonica to Berea. That didn't intimidate him. He wasn't intimidated by persecution because he knew to this end he was called. It is easy to be intimidated when we are operating outside the call of God for our life. Why? Because we don't have the power. We don't have the anointing. When I am doing something and I don't feel the grace of God to do it, I get out of it. I stop doing it because I know I'm not called. As my father used to say, where God guides, God provides. Not necessarily financially, but the grace, the anointing, the empowering. When God's in it, that sense of the call. When we are operating outside the call of God, we feel abandoned and alone. And we're trying to get other people to do it for us or to join us. I think of Martha in Luke chapter 10. This is a woman who is operating outside the call of God on her life. She's doing a good thing. She's cooking. She's cleaning. She's doing all she can for Jesus. But you know what? It wasn't the call, was it? The call was to sit at the feet of Jesus where her sister was. That was the call. You know what I've noticed? If I'm called to do dishes, they'll always be waiting for me. (laughs) The poor you have with you always. I always have laundry. I always have dishes. I should correct that. There are times where I get a five-minute break from laundry, and then it comes. It says, you only thought you were done. I was hiding in this basket right over here, behind the door in your son's room. Here I am. But you know, there will always be those times to clean. But there's not always that moment to sit at the feet of Jesus. And that's where the call was. That's where Mary was empowered. And as Mary was at the feet of Jesus, what happened? Jesus defended her. Jesus commended her. And when we're in the call, we are both defended and commended by the Lord Jesus. When we're in the call, he's our defense. He's our protector. He's our deliverer. So we don't need to be intimidated. But Martha, outside the call, what is she? She's angry at Jesus. Lord, don't you care? She feels alone and isolated. My sister has left me. I'm all alone. I'm abandoned. And she's bossy, nagging. Tell her to get in here and help me. Directing Jesus. Isn't that what we do when we're outside the call? Lord, you anoint me, even if I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm doing it for you. But she was outside the call. Jesus said, Martha, Martha. First one didn't count. You were cumbered about by a lot of things, but only one thing is essential. And that's to sit at the feet, (laughs) to sit here and listen to my word. Mary has chosen the better part and what she's doing won't be taken away from her. He knew the call. When we're outside of the call of God, it becomes performance rather than being empowered. When I find myself in a performance mode, I'm not in the call. It's time to step out and get alone with Jesus. Paul was not intimidated because he knew the scriptures. He knew his Bible. 
In 2 Timothy 3.15, he commended Timothy saying, Timothy, now remember, Timothy had a problem with fear, remember? He spoke to him in 2 Timothy 1.7, says, Timothy, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And then he reminds him again in chapter three, verse 15, he said, from a youth, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It's the scripture and knowing the Bible that will embolden us and prepare us so we don't need to be intimidated. Now in Berea, as before, Paul goes into the synagogue and he begins to preach. And we're told that the Bereans carefully weighed everything Paul said out. Verse 11, that they received the word with readiness. Carefully listen. Again, Acts 17, 11. And they searched the scriptures daily to check on the veracity and validity of all that Paul preached. Paul knew that all he taught could be verified by scripture and could stand up to any scrutiny. He knew it. He was emboldened to share because he knew it was biblically correct because he knew the scriptures. Years ago, I was up in a church in Northern California and I did a message. I had never done it before. And uh, I don't think I've done it since, but it's one of my favorite messages. I'm just waiting for the opportunity. And it, they gave me the scripture, a wise woman builds her house from Proverbs. And I had been reading in Genesis and I had been looking at Leah and Rachel, these two competing sisters. And what I saw was that Rachel had all the natural advantages, but all the spiritual disadvantages. And Leah had all the spiritual advantages and all the physical disadvantages. But at the end of Genesis, when they're going to bury Jacob, he says, bury me next to Leah, where Rebecca and Isaac and Abraham and Sarah are buried. She ended up being the matriarch of the faith not the beautiful Rachel. I'm sorry if your name's Rachel. That really hurts women whose names are Rachel. I'm telling you, not a popular study with them. But Rachel was buried in Bethlehem and later her tomb was desecrated. But Leah, and so I was really excited and, and this really takes on grand proportions when you look at the names that they name their children. I, I mean, I'd love to do that Bible study right now. Can you tell? It's like, oh, 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 I wouldn't tell you some more. But anyway, after I gave this study, the pastor's wife came up to me. She said, hmm, your tape outsold. You can tell how long ago it was. Your cassette tape on your message outsold everybody else's. I just, hmm, not sure about what you said. I'm going to have to look that up in the Bible. I'm like, well, I hope you do, Miss <laughs> Pastor's wife because I knew it could stand the scrutiny. I knew it because I knew the validity of what I said because it was all in the Word. In fact, I opened my Bible and said, look, 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 look. Connect the dots. It's all here. It's all here. So Paul could stand up to examination and the searching out 
of the scriptures because he was confident that he knew the scriptures, the validity of the word of God. He knew the word. He knew what it meant. You see, a reading over the word of God is not going to give you the meaning. You have to search the scriptures. You have to go deep. You have to seek understanding. Because without understanding, the enemy will take it away. Again, Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 13. If you don't understand what you read, the enemy will rob you of everything you're reading. He'll just take it right away. But if you seek to understand it, what does this mean? What is this saying? And that's why I love the Amplified Bible, the New Living Bible, David Guzik. Uh, commentary on Blue Letter Bible, the Holman's Handbook to the Bible, Haley's Bible Commentary. I heard it's really supposed to be Haley's. Haley, Haley, whoever. I love these Bible commentaries because, you know, and I believe in taking smaller portions of scripture so you know what you know. I mean, if I read the book of 1 Corinthians and you go, what did you read? Corinthians. What'd you get? Scriptures. You know, it's just, and sometimes I feel the Holy Spirit going, stop. You've got enough. You're on overload. If my computer gets too many files in it, you know what it does? It arbitrarily begins to delete. And when my brain gets overloaded, it arbitrarily begins to delete and it deletes the important stuff. And sometimes leaves me with nothing but theme songs from 70s com- you know, comedies on television. I'm like, no! I don't want to know all the words to that. You know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever is... I don't want to know that. I want to know my Bible. So we need to know understanding. Know what it means. Know what it says. Know where to go, what it says. Brian and I used to play this game. He would give me a scripture and say, where is it? I would say, the Bible. I would give him a scripture. He could get to the book and the chapter. In fact, he's kind of my living commentary. I'm like, Brian, where does it say? And he'll say, oh, that would be like Matthew chapter six, somewhere in the 30s. And it is. So right, I love it when every once in a while I go, uh-uh, it was 17. <laughs> Same chapter, but you know, I gotta let him know he still needs me just a little bit. I mean, it's just to know the word of God, know what it meant, know what it said, know where to find it. Paul knew where to find it, where to take them in the scroll, where to go, where it is. Is it in the Pentateuch? Is it in the books of prophecy? Is it in the books of poetry? where it was. We, if we want to be unintimidated, we need to know the scriptures because you know, there are going to be people that are going to try to disqualify you. So we need to know the scriptures and the grace of God and where that is in the scriptures. We need to know what it means to be in Christ because the world is constantly shouting and lying at us and Satan's always going to try to disqualify us and intimidate us. He is the great intimidator. And the only way to stand against his intimidation is to know the scriptures because the scriptures tell you who you are in Christ and where you stand in Christ. 
You need to know the scripture. Paul was not intimidated when he went to Athens because he knew the superiority of God to every so-called form of wisdom, philosophy, religion, and idol. He knew the superiority of his God. You know, sometimes we get intimidated by idolatry. You're a Buddhist? Okay. You're a Hindu? Okay. You're a Muslim? Okay. I have a friend of mine. She is Somalian. And she was born in Somalia, raised as a Muslim, came to the United States, received Jesus Christ. And one day she heard these, she's a nurse. She heard these other nurses talking about Jesus. And she said, you're all Christians? And they said, yes, we are. And she said, why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus? And they said, because you're a Muslim. She said, no, I was a Muslim dying in my sins and darkness. And you would have let me die? Didn't you care about me enough to tell me about Jesus Christ? Don't you love me enough to tell me? I know a Muslim man who got saved because a neighbor said to him, have you ever thought of trying Jesus? He said to him, I'm a Muslim. He goes, okay, okay. He left. That night, that man realized that Allah was not getting him anywhere. And so he called on the name of Jesus and was born again in that instant. When we know that our God is the only God, we will not be intimidated by idols. We are not to be intimidated by intellectuals. I mean, think about it. Some of these intellectuals are just monkeying around. They think they came from apes. We know better than that. You know, and even science is proving our point. When they're now saying it couldn't have happened on the earth, so it must have happened on another planet, and they took that seed and brought it to earth. Okay, that's smarter than just believing God created me. And though it looks like a complex design that's deceiving because it's really not, because you know we're all in our basements creating humans and trees and roses ourselves. Super easy, huh? And God did it without anything, and we're doing it with all of his substances, with all of his ingredients, and we still can't do it, can we? Best we can do is a car, and it breaks down. An airplane and a high-flying pigeon can put that thing down. God is superior We don't need to be intimidated. God's wisdom is far superior to the wisdom of men. So Paul was unintimidated to proclaim God in the synagogues, the marketplace, and the intellectual forums of his day. There's a book. The bookstore is probably going to kill me because I don't know if they have it. I love this book. It's called The Committed Life. It's a story of Dwight L. Moody, written by his son. When I finished this book, I sobbed my eyes out. I read it like, um, I think 10 years ago, but it's a reread too. A reread. But in it, Moody didn't get an education above uh, seventh grade. And he didn't even make it all the way through seventh grade. His father died and he had to go and work on his parents' farm. And he never really got a hold of the English language because he was raised on a farm and he, he just didn't get it, a farm in Illinois. So he'd say things like, taint no use, get right up, 
That was for an altar call. He come to him. They said that he murdered the English language. And this American uneducated farmer was called to bring the gospel to England. And in London, droves of people were coming to Jesus Christ through his life. So he was asked to come to Cambridge. When he went to Cambridge, the students there who were so intellectual were insulted that an uneducated American who butchered the English language was going to tell them anything because they were smarter than the gospel or God. They had moved beyond that. So the first meeting that he had, they heckled so loudly. They, every, when he got up to speak, they were going, hee-haw, hee-haw. He, he could barely speak. That was, a, that was a, a Wednesday night. So what he, I'm sorry, Thursday night. So what he did is they said, we probably ought to give up on Cambridge. And he said, uh-uh. He said, I want you to gather every believing mother in Cambridge to me. Any woman who is a Christian, go to all the churches and gather all the believing mothers in Cambridge. So he met with 300 mothers Friday morning, met with 300 mothers and said, I want you to begin to pray for the young men at Cambridge College. And those women began to pray and they spent the day in prayer. He got up Friday night and he shared the gospel and over 182 intellectuals responded to the gospel. They said that night he spent the whole night because those who hadn't responded came to seek him out at his hotel room to know Jesus. They didn't have a meeting on Saturday night. They weren't quite sure what was going to happen. They met again Sunday night and the place was packed out with 2,800 college students. And the majority gave their life to Jesus Christ. It's not over. Then he went to Oxford. In Oxford, the same thing happened. Hee-haw, hee-haw. Anything that he'd say like, take no use, take no use, take no use. And they begin to chant whatever he'd said wrong. So he just all of a sudden stops and says, I suppose that that's the wine talking and not you. Well, then they got really upset. You calling us drunkards? And he said, no, I'm just trying to give you an excuse for your bad behavior. And he said, I thought the English believed in fair play. And this is definitely not fair play. And he challenged them to come back the next night without any liquor. And then he told those that he was, you know, that he was with that had organized this. He said, when I give the cue, I want you to vacate the first three, three rows because God's going to give us a harvest of souls tonight. So he gave the altar call that night, talked on the marriage supper of the lamb, gave the altar call and they had to vacate eight rows. And those young men came forward and he said, and I want you on your knees, repenting and calling out to God. Eight rows of young intellectuals from Oxford were on their knees crying. You see, you don't have to be an intellectual to reach intellectuals. You can be an uneducated American raised on a farm and you can say, taint no use and get right up here. 
because you have the gospel of the living God. Because our God is wiser than the greatest wisdom of men. Our God made it. They're just trying to discover what he already knows. As Galileo says, I just am thinking just a few of the thoughts of God when he looked at the heavens and the stars and came up with the laws of physics. Amazing. Our God is superior. When we're outside of the call, everything we do becomes performance-based rather than being empowered by the Holy Spirit, which ultimately leads to discontentment and failure. But when we are in the call, we are defended and commended by the Lord Jesus. God is glorified and we are unintimidated by anything that might come against God's plan. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Unintimidated. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapter 17 with part three of her message, Unintimidated. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.